Welcome to The Productivity Show, the Asian efficiency podcast dedicated to helping you make the most of your time, attention, energy, and focus. In this episode, Tan and I talk about delegation, an important skill if you want to be productive and one area where a lot of people miss it. If you've ever tried handing off a work task but were frustrated because it took too long or it wasn't done correctly, you've probably made one of the five common mistakes that we cover in this episode. We'll also show you how to overcome four common limiting beliefs people have about delegation. We'll share some of the expensive costs of ineffective delegation, and we'll show you the three critical components you absolutely must have if you want your delegated work to get done correctly and on time. You can find links to everything we discuss in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 182. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, this is Mike Schmitz, and with me today to talk about effective delegation is Tan Pham. How are you doing today, Tan? Hey Mike, I'm doing well. How are you? Awesome. I'm excited to get into this topic because this is something that I have learned a lot about from you. The source of this uh, this podcast idea actually came from a team training that you had done, and so there's a ton of information here which we'll we'll dive right into. But I know that I'm not the only one who has questions about delegation. In fact, some of the the dojo members were posting some of their questions before we started here. And Lisa said that part of my responsibilities is to delegate some of my work to two support people on my team, but I struggle with delegating to those two, knowing that their workloads are just as full as mine. I end up doing the work at a much higher pay rate because I feel bad adding to their work. Is this as simple as trusting that they will either ask for help or delegate their own work down the line? Uh, there's a couple of reasons here and frustrations with, uh, with delegation, which cause us not to, not to, uh, to, to want to delegate work, which uh, I think we'll, we'll dive into Lisa's situation, maybe specifically, uh, first, but then, uh, we'll get into kind of the, del- what we mean by delegation, some of the common frustrations, we'll get into some limiting beliefs and how you can overcome them. And of course, we'll show you how to do this effectively. Sound good? Sounds good to me. All right. So let's start with Lisa's question. So it sounds like she just feels bad about delegating the work to these people because they're as overworked as she is. And I know from meeting Lisa in Austin that it sounds like she's got a lot on her plate. So what advice would you give to Lisa regarding delegation, Tan? Yeah, this is a tough one because you can go in a lot of different directions. And I'll I'll take my perspective first. And as somebody who is quote unquote, the boss or the business owner, you have to kind of embrace that you have the stature that you can use to get certain things done. So what I mean with that is because you're the boss or if I'm the boss, I can say and demand, hey, this needs to be done. This is more important than other stuff that needs to be done. And because I'm the one who sets the strategy, the priority, um, I kind of have that wiggle room to say, hey, this, this goes first before anything else. So when you start delegating stuff, you have to let people know where something falls on the priority list as well. So if you are their manager, their boss, you kind of have that power. And I would say use that power, right? Now, if you are somebody who doesn't have that power, you're kind of equal peers, then you want to kind of have this conversation and say, hey, you know, we're both working towards this goal. I think it would be a good idea if you worked on this and I worked on that. That way we can kind of like optimize our time and make sure we hit our objective, right? So you don't want to delegate just for the sake of delegating because it makes your life easier. 
you want to make sure you delegate because you have this common goal that you work towards because then there's a good reason to do it and everybody's on the same page. So those are some of the quick thoughts that I have. And as we go through the episode, I'm pretty sure you're going to have even more insights, but those are some of my quick thoughts. Yeah, 100%. I think the alignment of the vision, like you mentioned, is a really important piece. So delegation, and we're going to get into the specifics of this in a little bit, but the person that you're delegating the work to has to understand all the different pieces. And a big piece of that, I would say, is why are you even doing this in the first place? If they don't understand the why, then it's hard for them to get on board with your vision. But ultimately, if you are the boss and it's your vision that you're trying to communicate, you're responsible for the communication of that vision. You can't just say, just do this and expect people to do it with uh, with gusto. <laughs> they have to they have to be brought on board. Uh, but let's back up just a little bit here. What do we what do we mean when we say delegation? So what does delegating work to somebody actually look like? Yeah, when it comes to delegation, a lot of people have different meanings and different concepts about the word delegation. And part of the inspiration for this episode, like you said, Mike, was the team training. And it inspired me to do that team training because I'm noticing as we are growing as a company and as we are adding more people to the team, there's a big need to train people and to know and understand what delegation is and how that helps us move things forward even faster. So when we started adding more people to the team and things got a little bit crazy sometimes when when it comes to growth and things happening, you hit a certain threshold where sometimes it doesn't really make sense for you to do certain things anymore because you have a lot of other things that need your time and focus. And then if you look at something from a dollar per hour value, sometimes it makes more sense that somebody else does something so that you can focus on other things that kind of make sense dollar per hour. Right. And um, I started to notice this in our own company and I thought, okay, I think this is a good time to introduce the training to say, hey, what is delegation? Why is this valuable? And for me, the whole thing is how do we maximize the output of the people in our company? And delegation is a huge tool for that. So again, I, I, I see that as a tool to maximize output because out of 10 things on your to-do list, you already know there's maybe one or two things that are really the most important things. And when we talk about eating your frog and doing your most important task, when you look at your to-do list, there's only really two, maybe three at most, most important things that you need to do that day that would make it a successful day. So what happens to all the other seven things on there? Do they just get discarded? Do they just get ignored? No, they still have to be done. They're still relatively, quote unquote, important, but not the most important. So what happens then is if you do all 10 things, one, you're really scattered. You're not really moving forward on the big goals that we set this quarter or this year. And things just don't progress as fast because you're spending time on things that don't necessarily align with the goal or aren't that important. So what happens with all the other seven things that need to happen is we can uh, delegate that to somebody else so it still gets done. And again, I'm not diminishing the importance of it, but it still gets done and um, we're utilizing everybody's resources in the most efficient way. So that's how I look at delegation. Yeah, and I don't think it needs to be a company perspective either. Like you could apply this to a family context. You could apply this really to any team that you're a part of. Uh, I'm reading a book right now 
called The Cognitive Connection, which is actually written by Kathy Colby, the lady behind the the Colby Index that everybody at Asian Efficiency has taken. (laughs) Uh, And the book is really interesting because it talks about not just your working styles, but if you dig a little bit deeper, uh, that's actually the different action modes or how you get things done. And everybody's got their preferred action modes, and most people have two action modes that they resist. And uh, her point is that if you spend a lot of time in the action modes that you, the way you're wired, like you resist those things, that's going to be a lot harder for you. And it's going to cause a lot of what she calls conative stress. And a lot of marriages and relationships, you hear the saying all the time that opposites attract. Well, that's a good thing from a team perspective, because it means that the things that are not the way that I would work are the way that my wife would work like we complement each other. When you have a team that has a bunch of different people who work different ways, it's easy to delegate tasks to people in their strengths, the way that they work, because they can they can get those things done more efficiently than you can do yourself. It's not just what are the things that I should pay somebody else to do, which is a form of delegation, but it's not the only form of delegation. I know Curtis had a question about that. He said, when you're just starting and funds are flush, how do you go about about delegating? And I reworded that to say, how do you start delegating if you don't have a ton of money to hire a VA? (laughs) Uh, The point is that anytime you work with a contractor and anytime you work with other team members, these delegation skills that we're going to cover in this episode are going to come in handy. Yeah, when you don't have a lot of funds, it's something that every entrepreneur or freelancer or consultant kind of goes through or a contractor. And... It comes to a point where, okay, you have to kind of work extra hard, extra long hours to make some extra money so that you can use that to then uh, delegate some of the work that you do. So it's really like you're trading up over time. But at the beginning, everybody starts from the same position, and that means no funds. So you have to do everything yourself, and really you have to trade your way up. And if, if you can't put in extra hours to make those extra funds then one, you're probably doing something wrong or two, something is just not working. So you're going to have to figure something out there. But that's a huge sign. If you're not making progress fairly quickly, that means you can't delegate stuff. So that means something else is broken because you should be delegating as soon as you grow. So that's something to look out for. But labor costs, and especially if you go overseas, can be really affordable. But also... You can be really um, creative as well. So you can barter, for example. This is what a lot of people do when they first start off is, okay, I don't necessarily have the funds, but we can trade. So I could provide you consulting services and I can coach you. In exchange, maybe you do some design work for me. So that's something a lot of people do as well. So that's something to consider too. Yeah, that's actually how I started with Asian Efficiency. (laughs) We bartered for the productivity blueprint. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I remember now. And you're not the only one who started off that way. So that's uh, that's a good example of how we did it. (laughs) Yep. And I think that there's also maybe the the way that you view delegation uh, is maybe bigger than it really is. So I think that there's a lot of things that could be classified as delegation that maybe you don't think about delegation. You only think about delegation as... I have this big project that I need to complete and I want to be able to just completely assign this to somebody and never have to touch it again. And that gets into some of these common frustrations and annoyances that you listed here in the outline that people have experienced when they've delegated in the past. Like you've delegated something and you got something totally different than what you expected or you handed something off 
you forgot about it, you check upon it later, it's still not done and it's driving you crazy. Or you keep delegating things and every time you get it, it's below the quality standards that you want, so you end up doing it yourself. But that's going to be the result of the system that you're using. And we'll talk about some of some of the ways that you that you can delegate effectively in a little bit. But before we do that, I want to get into these four common limiting beliefs that people have about delegation. This blew my mind when you presented it in the training. So you want to walk us through these? Yes. So everything we talk about today on this episode is something that I've personally experienced, something that I've seen in other people. And I can tell you I've made every single mistake in the book, if there is such a thing as a book on delegation. And uh, it took me many years, many trial and errors, and many screw-ups, and many uh, tough conversations with people to kind of figure all this stuff out. So hopefully we can save you some time by figuring out what worked for us, and hopefully you can implement it. Uh, but the four limiting beliefs that I've sort of identified and have seen over and over again in myself and in other people. And the first one is only I know how to do it. This is something that I see over and over and over again. And if you're thinking about delegating something, this is probably something that you think about as well. Only I know how to do something. And we have this like special snowflake syndrome sometimes where we feel really special. We think we're the best at it. We think we're the the only people on the planet or at our company that knows exactly how this process works. And you'll look for evidence if you think about that for that to be true. But I can tell you from my own experience, uh, that is just simply not true. No matter how complex it is, it's just not true. So if you're thinking this right now and you have a hard time getting out of it, trust me, it is just not true. Especially if you start documenting it, you'll start to see that everybody, maybe not everybody, but most people can actually do what you do. And there's very few things that you, maybe you have a very special talent for that maybe only you could do. But then if that is the case, you should be really focusing on that and delegate everything else that you shouldn't be doing, but that you think you only know how to do. Yeah. And this is, I think, a big pitfall for entrepreneurs. Uh, I read read the book Paid to, to Think, and they talk a little bit about well, the point that you just made where a lot of companies think like, well, if I lost this person, I'd be in trouble. But their point was that really it's 20% the people that you have and 80% the systems that you have. Uh, And if you are an entrepreneur and you're falling into this belief that only I know how to do it or the second one here, nobody does it better than me, and you're not creating the systems to, to delegate this so that someone else can do it, Number one, you're going to burn out. But number two, really the, the thing that is most valuable for you, and you can't, you can't get there right away if you're just starting off. But I would argue as, a, as an entrepreneur or a business owner, a CEO, whatever, like your, the best use of your, your time is going to be in that thinking time, which we've got a dojo module on that specific topic. And I was going through that as I was working on some, some workbooks, which are going to be available shortly. Like those exercises, those are really powerful. And asking the right question can illuminate a lot of these these broken systems and these things that you need to, to fix. Like one of the things you told me yesterday when we were on our call is what's the difference that makes the difference? <laughs> it can be so easy to just be head down doing the tasks that only you know how to do or nobody does it better than me. So I'm just going to crank through and, and finish this stuff. But if you don't spend the time uh, thinking about the problems, then you're going to be stuck addressing the symptoms and you'll never get to the heart of the issue. That's a great question. It's one of my favorite questions to ask. 
what's the difference that makes the difference? And you can apply this to everything, especially when you have to prioritize something. So like I said earlier, if you have 10 things on your list that you have to do, you can ask yourself, what's the difference that makes the difference? And you'll start to realize, okay, there's actually only one or two, maybe three at most that will make the difference. And I use that question all the time when it comes to setting priorities for a quarter, uh, what we want to focus on as a company and, and so on. So great question. I'm glad you brought that up because it's in the thinking time uh, training videos that we have in the dojo. So if you haven't joined yet, definitely go check that out. Uh, but yeah, the second one, lim- the second limiting belief that you mentioned, Mike, nobody does it better than me. I'm constantly surprised by this myself because I start to see over and over and over again that there's some people who will do thing- certain things way better than I ever could. And now that I have the positive reference experience, I just know that this is just not true anymore. So if you have this limiting belief, just get over it. <laughs> Trust us, it's not true. The third one that we have here is, I hate doing this, so I assume this other person hates it too. Just because I hate doing something, I might assume that the other person hates it too. And I used to struggle with this all the time, and especially when I first started working, for example, with other people on the team, when I first started hiring people. I was so afraid to delegate stuff that I hated doing that I gave them some of the easy stuff that I kind of enjoyed, thinking that they probably enjoy it too, which was obviously a big mistake. And you hire people to help you with certain things to help the company grow and make your life easier. And a lot of times you want to hire people because you want to offload some of the things you don't like doing, but they actually enjoy doing. And what's crazy about it, and this is this is something I get constantly reminded about every single day because I work with Nicole every day, which is uh, my executive assistant and Mike works with her every now and then too. It's all give her stuff that I just really do not like doing, but she loves negotiating. She loves making deals. She loves talking to people on the phone. And it's just, it still you know, blows my mind that she loves doing that sort of stuff whenever I tell her to do certain things. And I just like, no, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to talk to this person on the phone, get on the phone, call and figure stuff out. And she's like, no, I'll take care of it. I love it. You know, I'm going to go for it and I'll let you know what happens. So just because I hate doing something doesn't mean that the other person hates it. Yep, exactly. Uh, and this kind of gets into the, the conative preferences that I mentioned a little bit and uh, where the value of understanding how everybody on the Asian deficiency team is is wired, for example, just using our, our company as a as an example, that can be really valuable because there can be somebody who like this is just completely against the grain for you, but for somebody, this is the thing that they really like to do. And I think that maybe there's a hint of this in Lisa's question where she was talking about how she feels bad delegating this work to these these other people. Now, part of it is the amount of work that they have to do. But if it's something that they like to do, and if they if it's something that that Lisa is struggling with, and so she thinks that by giving it to these this this person below her that they're going to struggle with it just as much as she does that maybe isn't the case based on on what you're telling telling us right now and what are the biggest mistakes that you can make especially if you're a business owner or you're in a position of hiring people is to hire people who are very similar because you'll you'll run into this where okay if i hate doing something and this person is very similar to me then yes, that person will probably hate it too. <laughs> so yep. if you have a whole team of people who are very similar, there's just no way you can offload and delegate stuff because everybody's going to end up hating their work. So that's why it's so important 
that when you hire and you start to build your team and you start to build your company, you start, you start hiring different people with different backgrounds, different characters, so that when you start offloading and delegating stuff, that you can assign stuff that they actually enjoy. And that's so, so important. Yeah. Now, obviously, there are that there are things that you need to make sure that you do to make sure that the delegated tasks are are still going to be done to a certain standard. So one of the one of the things that I'm thinking of as you're describing that is I'm a half high fact finder. I'm working with somebody who's a high quick start, which is kind of the the opposite end of the the cognitive spectrum. And I'm going to give them something to do or vice versa. The the way that I would naturally write acceptance criteria, which is getting into one of Jonathan's questions, is going to be different than the way somebody who's a high quick start might put forth the acceptance criteria because I want to know all the details ahead of time. And the quick start is like, oh, let's just do this and figure it out. So there is going to be a framework that we're going to share in a little bit, which is going to, to help with that. Uh, but the fourth limiting belief here is that I can do it faster than the other person. This one is interesting. I've definitely dealt with this myself. But in my opinion, I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on this, Tim. But I think that this is kind of a short-term benefit, uh, long-term, this will this will harm you if you take this this approach. This is where you just say, I can do this quicker, and you keep adding these things, and now you're the, the burned-out entrepreneur who's working 16 hours a day because you never learned to offload this stuff and give it to people who have the skills or the potential anyways to do this better than you uh, because you're looking at it through the lens of right now. But I heard a statistic somewhere, and I can't I can't locate this at the moment. But somebody had told me one time, uh, maybe it was Sam Carpenter in the book Work the System, where he said uh, that it's worth an additional sixty times <laughs> the length that it would take you to do something to train somebody else to do it. Yeah, and this is a very tricky and limiting belief in the sense that it could be true, and oftentimes it is true. But like you said, it's not really a good use of your time over time. It's a short-term benefit and you're going to sacrifice short-term benefits over the long-term benefits because if you have a hundred things to do, maybe you could be the fastest person at doing a hundred different things. Now, does that mean that you're actually going to progress if you did all those hundred things? No, you're going to burn out. Like you said, you're going to actually be the bottleneck for the most part for a lot of things. And as you start to grow, a lot of the value that you create, at least from, and I'm talking from my point of view at least, the value that I create is not actually in, in doing the things, it's actually in the thinking, setting the strategy, setting the vision and coaching people so that they can execute on all those hundred different things that need to be done. So this is a very, very tricky limiting beliefs because it is oftentimes true but just think about all the things you have to do. And if you did all those different things, you would shoot yourself in the foot over time. So by offloading them, even if they are slower at it than you are over time, as they do it more often, they'll get faster at it, they'll get better at it, and they'll probably do it even faster and better than you over time. And one of the tricky things I would always deal with is, you know, this is kind of an expectation thing is, when you delegate something, you kind of have to be okay that's going to be done 80% the way you want it to be. So the quality standard is kind of like set at around 80%. So maybe it's not 80% up to the speed that you want uh, or the quality standard, but be okay with that. And then over time, you can kind of perfect that. So just remember, yes, you can probably do it faster than everybody else, 
but you have so much more important stuff to take care of. So focus on that because that's going to be the big win for you and your team and your company. Yeah. Now you've got the next section here, uh, is for business owners specifically, but as a business owner, let's run through these real quick. Uh, and the the one point in here, which you really were just speaking to, is this whole idea of working out of alignment. But I'll, I'll let you uh, kind of maybe talk about that one first, and we'll do these a little bit out of order. But uh, and then talk about the uh, the other two other two things here that are an ineffective use of people's time and resources, and as a business owner's perspective, how it's one of the most expensive mistakes that you can make. Yeah, up to this point, we talked a little bit about delegation in terms of work environments. And Mike mentioned earlier, like you mentioned how you can also use this in a family context, right? And I can even imagine you delegating stuff to your kids, uh, but especially with your wife as well. They got to do chores. (laughs) Exactly. You got to tell them what to do. And in business, one of the biggest expenses that everybody knows is payroll. Right. So if you look at a balance or at an income statement, payroll is usually one of the biggest expenses. It's, it could be like 40 up to 80 percent of all expenses. So it's a huge expense. And um, it's a you know, the way I look at it is it's a super valuable resource. So when you have all these people working with you, if you're not making good use of their time and their resources, then that's a really expensive mistake you're making, right? So let's say your payroll is, uh, let's just throw a number out there, $50,000 a month, right? You're paying people $50,000 a month. And if they're not managing their time right, if they're not working on the right things, if you're not working on the right things and everybody's misusing their time, you're basically throwing away $50,000 every single month. Like that's pretty expensive (laughs) when you think about that, right? So as a business owner, it's in your best interest to make sure that everybody's working in alignment towards the goal, towards the things that need to be done, and is doing it in the most effective and efficient way. So teaching people how to delegate, you delegating stuff as well, is super, super important because you don't want people to be idle, right? You don't want people to procrastinate. You don't want them to uh, not produce value. So in, in our example, if I don't spend time thinking about grooming the backlog and making sure we know exactly what we need to do next sprint, I could be throwing away two weeks of quote unquote payroll uh, because I didn't spend enough time thinking through what we need to do in the next two weeks. That's an expensive mistake. Second thing, like I mentioned before, working out of alignment. If people are working on stuff that is not related to the company goal, that's that's a waste of money. Like it doesn't make any sense. And that includes myself as well. So there was a period, and some of you guys even know about this, I was vlogging for 60 days in a row. And it was a really fun project. I loved it. I still want to do it at some point. <laughs> I love just being creative that way. But it was just not related to what we're working on as a company. So I had to stop it because it was just taking up so much of my time, probably like three or four hours a day. And that didn't aligned with what we were trying to achieve as a company. So I had to stop doing it and say, okay, I need to make better use of my time. And the third thing here is like, like I said, wasting time. So if people are on your team or in your company are wasting time, for example, by doing stuff incorrectly, uh, not following SOPs, they make a lot of mistakes, then you're throwing away again money because they're not optimizing their time in the best way possible. So by teaching the team, 
how to delegate, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do it, was to way a way for us to optimize our time and a way for us to increase our velocity because that's something that we track every single sprint. Um, I don't know if we've ever talked about it before, but Mike, can you maybe explain to people what I mean with velocity and how we do that as a team? Yeah, so velocity is a, a scrum term. It's basically the number of story points that we get done in a sprint in ours are our two-week sprints. So the the goal is that we keep improving in terms of our velocity. One of the things that helps our velocity, help helps us helps the team get the work done faster is when like you had mentioned the backlog grooming what that literally means is putting in all of the acceptance criteria. So when this task is done, what does it look like? And this kind of gets into Jonathan's question. Uh, he asked, how much effort should you put into defining acceptance criteria? Do you take an 80-20 approach and instruct the delegate to ask questions if they aren't sure how to proceed? From the Asian efficiency perspective, absolutely not. You try to think of all of the things that the person might know or might need to know ahead of time. I remember one issue in particular we were updating a webinar deck for a presentation that we were doing. And I think you told me you spent like two hours grooming this one issue for me. <laughs> and when I saw it, when we did our, our, our sprint meeting, I, I almost had a heart attack because there were like 21 different things in the acceptance criteria. But when I actually dove in and did the work, it made it very, very easy to work on that task. And even though it was a big task, I got it done a lot faster than I thought I would. And I got it done exponentially faster than I would have had you not put in that acceptance criteria. So that's the kind of thing where if you put forth the effort on the front end, it will make everything that you do on the back end uh, more effective. And that really is the key, in my opinion, to increasing that velocity. Yeah, that's a really good example of... Uh, delegating. So we'll we'll get into the more speci- specifics of acceptance criteria and and all that stuff and how to specify that. But that's a really good example of I literally spent two hours writing down a description of what needed to be done, and it sounds crazy. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. Two hours, but it was so meticulous. And I know working with Mike that Mike is a high fact finder. And what do high fact finders like? They like a lot of details. So by me, just writing a very clear definition of done wouldn't be good enough. So I had to specify bullet point by bullet point of what needed to be in there. And I literally spent two hours writing that, figuring that out. And then I gave it to Mike and Mike said, okay, this is good to go. I think I get it. And I totally understand when you first see it, (laughs) you definitely get a heart attack because you think like, okay, this is going to take a whole two weeks. And we calculated that it would take a whole two weeks to get it done. And as you start to go through it, like I don't think you and I maybe one time had maybe a quick check-in in terms of what needed to be done or maybe some clarification questions, but there was no, hey, Tan, what do you mean with this? Or, hey, Tan, um, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think about that? There was really none of that. It was really just, okay, let me just follow what is written here. Let me put it in there and then I'm done and we're good to go. Yeah, exactly. And it saved it saved a ton of time doing that because even if the questions that I had were minor, I have to ask the question probably via hip chat since that's what we use for internal communication. And you'll respond maybe right away, maybe in an hour or two. <laughs> and I'm sitting there waiting till you respond. And then hopefully your response is complete and I don't have another follow-up question, but because I'm a high fact finder, I probably do. <laughs> you know, and all that back and forth, that ends up being a, a lot of extra 
uh, extra time spent and a lot of extra effort to get the the task done. And so I get Jonathan's perspective on this where you don't want to write down all that acceptance criteria, but it really does make the task easier. And I would I would argue, and I'm interested in your, your perspective here, Tan, but I would argue that it doesn't matter if you're delegating work to somebody on, on your team, like the Asian efficiency team, or you're assigning a task to somebody or like a contractor that we work with, because I've gone through that with the contractors that we work with, where if I'm not complete in the description and I don't paint the picture of exactly what this thing is supposed to look like, then it makes their work ineffective. And I just get, get frustrated. There's, there's three expensive costs here to bad delegation, which we'll, we'll dive into. And and really all three of these, (laughs) uh, are, are uh, the result of, of, uh, I would say improper acceptance criteria. Yeah, guys. And you guys can't see it right now, but we have so much stuff in our show notes right now that we probably don't even have time to go through everything. So I'm going to rush kind of through this, but we're actually in a process of making a Dojo training video series on this, on how to delegate effectively. So if you're interested in that, definitely go check out the Dojo, which you can do at the, the productivityshow.com slash Dojo, because we're going to make it a little bit more actionable and actually include everything. And uh, I want to make sure we can have enough time to go through all this other stuff we have here because as we're as we're talking right now, I'm noticing that we might not get through everything. But I want to make sure there's so much stuff in here, guys, um, to make sure that you guys get the most value. And I want to make sure that it is actionable as well, because that's something that you guys can always expect from us. Right. Whenever you listen to a podcast episode, read a blog post, read one of our emails, it's always actionable. So I want to make sure we leave on that high note as well. So uh, just to quickly go over some of the three uh, expensive costs of bad delegation. Someone kind of hinted at earlier. Uh, Some of this is new. So the first one is changeover. So I have to give credit to my friend Tim Francis of theprofitfactory.com. So he kind of made up those terms for me. And I think it's a really great way to uh, kind of have a codified language in terms of when we talk about delegation. So changeover simply means like how do we get on the same page as quickly as possible to hash this stuff out. So I'm sure you had this conversation before and I go, Hey Mike, when are you free? And Mike says, I'm free at 2 PM on Tuesday. Oh, I can't do 2 PM. How about 3 PM? And then you go, well, what, what day again? And what time zone? And I go, uh, Tuesday, 3 PM central. Oh no, I can't do that. Uh, can we do Wednesday? No, I can't do Wednesday. What about Thursday? I could do Thursday, 8 AM, you know, and the list goes <laughs> on and on and on. Right. Yep. So, a really simple way to kind of address that is one, I, pre- I prefer to use a schedule service, something like schedulonce.com or Calendly are really popular. That just makes it really easy and say, hey, Mike, here's my link to book an appointment with me. Let's go on the same page as soon as possible. Pick something and we'll make it happen. And then once he uses that link and he schedules his appointment, it will be on my calendar and we're good to go. So I like to use that. If you do have to use email or something like that, just be very clear on how you communicate it. So I would say something like, hey, let's meet on Tuesday at 2 or 3 p.m. Central on Zoom. If that doesn't work, please suggest two or three alternative options. So again, see how I'm super specific. The day, time zone, the time, the location, which is Zoom. If that doesn't work, make that person suggest other times so that, uh, especially multiple different suggestions so that you can then start picking stuff. So it kind of speeds up the whole process, right? So that's what I mean with changeover. 
Yeah, I literally just went through this, by the way, because I was scheduling a podcast episode with uh, a couple of guys. One of them is now a dojo member <laughs> uh, who did a, an academic, wrote an academic uh, journal on productivity and mentioned Asian efficiency. So I wanted to have them on the podcast. And uh, there's two people here who are busy academics and how do you coordinate all these schedules? And uh, what we ended up using was a, a tool called Doodle which has a paid tier, but the free version is really good. And, and that's my preferred tool when you have more than one person, because instead of just saying, okay, look at my calendar and book something, what you can do is you can create, it's called a doodle poll. And uh, since I was the one sending it out, I created uh, a whole bunch of times and dates and times that would work for me, sent it to everybody in the group, and then they can just check the boxes for the ones that work for them. And then you can go in once everybody's responded and see, oh, this one time right here, there's check marks all the way down the page. Like that's the one that works. So the second one is rework. So there's this famous carpentry expression, measure twice and cut once. So what this really means is when you start to delegate something, you want to avoid the mistake of having to iterate, 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 make changes to it over and over and over again. And this is really common with design work because design is a little bit more conceptual and creative. But other examples would be like redoing a brochure, a website, or a, a landing page, rewriting scripts. When you have to rework stuff over and over and over again, that's going to be a really expensive mistake. So you want to make sure you avoid that sooner than later. And that's done by being really, really specific, kind of like how we talked about earlier, how I gave Mike that epic long acceptance criteria list. That's a really good example of avoiding rework, right? And then the third one here is delay of delivery. So when you are not good at delegating and it's not done in the right way, you tend to shoulder the cost of a delay of delivery. So an example of this, let's say I need to renew my passport and I delegated it to somebody else to help me with some paperwork and stuff like that. And then it doesn't happen. And I'm about to go on this international trip. Well, guess what? Now I have to like rush it. I have to pay extra fees at FedEx to, to make sure that the passports get shipped on time. Maybe I have to pay something extra in terms of like printing documents to make sure I have it. So you start to shoulder all those expenses because you didn't delegate properly, right? And this is really common, especially when you work with clients. I see this over and over again. Um, maybe you have to pay penalty fees or late fees. Maybe you have to um, pay other fees because it's in the contract when it's delayed. Another thing might be, the case where um, if you delayed something, that also means that the payments of that is going to be delayed as well. So if you're counting on, let's say, delivering a website on the 20th of the month and it's being delayed, and let's say, you know, the next month, that also means that the payment could be delayed 30 days or even 60 days from originally when you were planning to hope to get it. So that's going to be even more expensive and that's going to hurt cash flow and all that other stuff. So being late and not effectively delegating is going to be a super, super expensive mistake you want to avoid. Right. Absolutely. So just real quickly, those three expensive costs of bad delegation, again, are changeover, rework, and delay of delivery. Now let's jump into probably the part that everybody's been waiting for. How do you delegate effectively? Okay, so there's three main components to delegating. So the first one is vision. Second one is resources. And the third one is definition of done. 
And if you miss any of these three, you will encounter issues that I've talked about before up to this point. So you're going to have a lot of rework, changeover. You're going to have delay of delivery. You're going to make all these mistakes that I've talked about before. Uh, limiting beliefs will come up again. So just make sure you have those three. Vision, resources, and definition of them. Yeah, and, and these are and these are the things that you need no matter who you're really delegating it to. The specifics may look a little bit different. Uh, you had mentioned in the, the training that you had done that this is kind of like writing a story in Scrum. Well, on the Asian efficiency team, we are exactly writing a story. Uh, maybe the person that you're delegating to on Fiverr doesn't need a quote unquote definition of done, but it still needs to have these three components. So it doesn't matter if you're working with somebody that you regularly delegate work to like a personal assistant or a random person or contractor. These are really the key components that's going to make the, the the work that you delegate be done in the time frame that you need it and also to the quality standard that you're looking for. Exactly. So let's start with the first one, which is vision. So I'm assuming for a moment that we're doing this in writing, um, but you can do this verbally as well, but I'm just assuming in writing for now. So it kind of makes sense when, uh, when I walk through everything here. So when it comes to vision, the way I look at it is you want to write down in a bullet form list all the things you'd like to have accomplished. And that's really it. You could also write a story as we call it. Um, so it kind of like metaphorically describes what you like to achieve. But I find bulleted lists to be really useful. So a couple questions you can ask yourself to kind of help you come up with what you want to write down is the following list. And just write those down. It will be really helpful. Or if you're listening and you want to replay this, you know, mark this right now because I think you're going to find it really useful. What do you want done? What's your vision for completion? Why are we doing this? And this is especially important for high fact finder people. When are we starting this task or project? What are the milestones along the way? What's the ultimate final deadline? So those are some of the questions you can use. And like I said before, you want to consider telling a story as well. Some things that I find useful as well is to also explain what the stakes are if something doesn't go well. And it kind of sets a context. It kind of gives people an idea of why we're doing this and what the consequences are if we don't get it done. But that's, that's kind of optional. I don't always do that, but that's something to consider as well. And the last thing you want to add to that when it comes to vision is, can you show a sample of success? Meaning, is it a video that you can show people? Is it maybe a screenshot, a picture, an example of something, a link to a website? Can you show something that shows a sample of success? I, I love this this part right here because uh, I, I really do believe that there are tools available that can make this so much easier. So like one thing that I use all the time is an application called Tapes, which I've shared with you. I know that there's other free versions uh, that do the same sort of thing, but Tapes is a paid app, so I know it's going to be around. <laughs> uh, and it allows you to make a quick three-minute screencast or up to three minutes and then in that screencast, you can be looking at the web page or the design or whatever you're giving feedback on. And you can kind of be talking and showing with your mouse like this is this is the thing I want changed right here. I want this button to be blue. And there's there's no possibility that what you're saying is going to be misinterpreted because that that video is just so clear. So a screenshot. Absolutely. 
I think that, you know, the saying is uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. I think it was Barry Levinson who said that if a picture is worth a thousand words and a video is worth a million. <laughs> so I've definitely fallen into that trap before where somebody sends you an email, they have a question and you can just start replying to the email and you can spend 30 minutes typing out an email or you can record a two minute screencast and get the, the question answered uh, and be confident now that the work or the change that you're requesting is going to be done in the way that you need it. So the second thing you need is resources. Again, you definitely want to bookmark this thing right now or write down what I'm about to say because this list is super valuable and I would have paid money <laughs> if I knew this list uh, way, way, way back because it would have made my life so much easier. So I'm communicating the vision. Now I want to communicate the resources that are needed. So list the resources that you will think will be needed for this other person to execute. So this could be access. This could be, for example, online access like website passwords, um, using a password manager like 1Password or LastPass and giving them access to that. It could be access physically as well. So it could be like keys to a building or a room, login information to a, a computer. Another resource is money. So what, how much money is needed? Is it maybe access to credit cards, credit card numbers, or is it like PayPal accounts? Venmo, Bitcoin, whatever. What kind of financial instrument is needed to make sure something gets done? Uh, another thing is expertise. So maybe you need to give them access to how-to courses or they need to read some blog posts or go through some sort of training in order to accomplish something. Another form of expertise is consultants that you might need to hire to help you with certain stuff. So I think we've mentioned on the podcast before, we like to use clarity.fm to hire people. Oh yeah. So yeah, definitely go use that because we use that all the time and I recommend it. Another form of resource is manpower. So mentioning team members, maybe outside contractors or freelancers, uh, software that might be needed to get something done, systems or checklists, decision-making guidelines or operating principles. So think of them as like, if you listen to the episode where we talked about executive assistance, we talk about this a lot, decision-making guidelines. Basically, you're trying to give parameters for people on how to work around something. Uh, next thing is approvals or authority. So maybe specify who needs to approve something or who do you need to go to for approvals or to get authority on something. Another thing is hours allocated to complete something. This is especially useful if you're working with people on an hourly basis. You want to specify, hey, you know, I, I don't want you to spend more than X amount of hours on this so that you know exactly what the cost is for something as well. Another form of resource might be equipment or hardware. So you might say, hey, I need you to use the iPhone 10 to double check how this page looks in Safari or something like that, right? So you want to specify the hardware or equipment that they need. Uh, same thing with storage, like online or physical, but most mostly for us, it's online. So where do you store the files, okay? Once something is done, where is everything stored? And then the last type of resource might be itineraries of people or events. So that's kind of a really useful list that you can use. So when you communicate what you want to have done, we've we talked about the vision. So you want to kind of give them a bullet-pointed list what needs to be done and how you envision it being done. Then you want to provide the list of resources to say, hey, here's some of the things that I think you'll need. 
and here's how to get access or how to utilize those resources. So that person knows exactly, okay, I need to log in here. I need to use this password. I need to talk to this person. I need to make sure that this contract is signed off by that person. I need to follow this checklist before I consider it done. So that makes it very useful. Yeah, a couple of things I want to call out specifically that we use all the time at Asian Efficiency. So the the resources for the uh, the standard operating procedures for specific things uh, that helps a lot when we're creating the the issues that we're tracking in Jira and somebody else is working with a, an issue to have a link to the standard operating procedure on how to do something is a great resource. It can make it a lot quicker because we've got a ton of standard operating procedures. So having to go search through all of them and find the right one sometimes is difficult for the person who's executing the work, but it's pretty easy to just put the link to the actual SOP that you're going to use in the issue so that it's there. And then the other thing, the the storage, uh, we, we use Dropbox for all of our stuff internally. So we will frequently put the Dropbox link of the file that we want somebody to review. We're not going to attach it to Jira or email it or anything like that. And there's in the dojo, in the uh, Mac productivity course, there is a video that shows you how to do that in both Alfred and LaunchBar. Now I know you use LaunchBar and it's built right into the application. I use Alfred and I had somebody in the Alfred forum who works for the, the company create a custom action which you can download with that that video if you wanted to uh to use that action yeah and i i love automating all of this stuff as much as possible and if we want to get really geeky a lot of times when you start to delegate stuff especially if it's repetitive stuff you can create a text expander snippet for this and then if you also have sops that are always the same for a particular task you can quickly whip those out and put them in so to give you an example, and I think, Mikey, you might be doing this already for the podcast issue where yep. you know we need to make sure that there's an email going out to people who subscribed to getting show notes. So if you want to get the show notes in your email inbox every single time we release a podcast episode, go to the productivityshow.com or you can go to asianefficiency.com slash podcast. And then on that page, you can actually subscribe. So we will email you the show notes every single time we release a podcast episode. But that email needs to be created. And that's going to be the same thing every single week. We actually have an SOP for it as well. So when Mike creates the issue or the story for this, he'll have a text expander snippet for it and it'll just pop it out and it'll put in the acceptance criteria the resources that are needed. And one of them is the SOP for that. So he doesn't have to look for it anymore. It's just in there right now. So if you have a lot of repetitive stuff that you delegate, think about creating a text expander snippet for it and think about all the SOPs that you always reference and put them in there automatically. So you can have snippets within snippets if you really wanted to, if you want to get really geeky, but um, it will save you a lot of time when you start delegating stuff. And if you are in, if you're implementing any sort of, of scrum and you're doing any amount of backlog grooming, you have no reason not to use text expander since it's available now on both Mac and PC. <laughs> yep. One of our favorite apps. And if you want to get a discount on that, uh, we actually offer a discount for that in the dojo. So when you join the dojo, there's a page with all of our favorite apps where we give discounts for our members. So it's one of the big perks of being a dojo member. So if you want to join and get that discount, I highly recommend it. And you can join for a dollar nowadays. 
So limited time offer. So definitely go check that out. Yep. And there'll be details on how to do that in the outro of this podcast. Cool. So the third one, uh, so we talked about vision, we talked about resources, and the third one is definition of done. So you've heard about this before now. Um, I always like to call it DOD. My friends and I, when we talk about stuff, we, <laughs> we have this nerd language going on, and my friend Tim will go, okay, what's the DOD on this? And I'll say, okay, this time, this day, blah, 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 blah. So what is definition of done? It's basically clearly defining what success looks like. So definition of done, think of about it as, okay, if you're in Scrum or you understand Scrum or Agile philosophies, you have this like acceptance criteria, which is more of a checklist. Definition of done is really saying, hey, when I say this and it meets all these things that I'm about to lay down, that's when I know that we're done. There's no ambiguity. We're not trying to hit a moving target. When I write this down, we know exactly what that looks like. So the most common mistake that people make, and I've made this mistake over and over and over again, is to not clearly specify what success looks like. And so what happens a lot of times, and this has happened to us many times, is when we're getting close to finishing something, people will ask, hey, does this look good? Like, is this done? I don't know. Like, I don't feel confident about this. So you create a lot of this delay in conversation that is really not needed if you specified exactly what needed to be done. So to give an example, uh, let's say you delegated something for somebody to create an image to post on social media, right? A very clear definition of done is to say, I want this image to look like the Mona Lisa with a big nose and it should be exported in JPEG format at 300 by 300 pixels, okay? So that's super specific. That person knows exactly what definition of done is. So you're not going to get an image that looks like something else, like <laughs> Van Gogh, and it's not going to be in a PSD format or a PNG format or some format that you can't even render. No, it's going to be at the JPEG format as you request it. So the more specific you are with your definition of done, the better the delivery will be and the less confusion it will be on their end as well. Yeah, and the definition of done is separate than from the acceptance criteria. Now, that's something that I've learned fairly recently when, it, when we're doing the, the backlog grooming for the Asian deficiency issues is the acceptance criteria. You can lay out the roadmap for the actual work that's going to be done, but the definition of done is what does the final deliverable look like? And you're not restating all of the acceptance criteria. So the issue that you created, which had the 21 different acceptance criteria for me for updating the, the, the presentation, uh, that's not all restated in the definition of done, but the definition of done says something like, and I wish I had that issue in front of me right now, uh, but it was something like the webinar deck has all of the acceptance criteria changes made and it is ready to be presented. And since I'm the one presenting it, if it's not done in my mind, then if I'm not ready to, to present this thing, then the definition of done has has not not been met. And that's something that is a very small detail, but it makes a big difference. So adding that definition of done, what that does is it makes me transition from, well, I guess I checked all the boxes, but I really don't feel 100% about this thing yet to saying, okay, yes, this is now done and I can move on to the next thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, so I'll give you another example to kind of hit it home because 
this is such a minor detail, but it makes all the difference. Let's take the example of a blog post because we publish blog posts quite frequently and it's a good example that I think everybody can relate to. So think about acceptance criteria as almost like a checklist for things you want to have in there. But then the definition of done is like the final outcome that really clarifies what, what's in there. So with when it comes to a blog post, an acceptance criteria or a list of acceptance criteria could be the resources that you mentioned, but it could also be stuff like, okay, let's say it's a blog post about delegating. One acceptance criteria could be, are we using an image that highlights the process of delegation? Second acceptance criteria could be, is it easy to read on a certain grade level, right? Sixth grade level, for example. So this is something we'll test quite frequently as well because we want to make sure that our content is easy to read. Um, another thing might be, okay, is it a minimum thousand words? That might be another acceptance criteria, right? So I'm creating this checklist, quote unquote, um, which is essentially the acceptance criteria, but the definition done might be the blog post on delegation is completely written and proofread by a, another team member and is scheduled to go out on this date at this time. So I hope the, you start to see the difference. Like the acceptance criteria, I could check off all the boxes, but if it's not scheduled or it's not proofread, right, then it's still not technically done. So we had this issue in the past where people were checking off all the things that were in the acceptance criteria. Even if it said, you know, it is scheduled to go out at this date and this time, people still wouldn't know, okay, am I actually done? Did I include everything? By adding not only the acceptance criteria and the definition of done, people now had a very clear idea. Okay, I checked everything on the acceptance list and I checked everything that is said in the definition of done. Now I'm confident that this is actually done. I'm going to mark it as done. Yeah, so like the acceptance criteria is your pre-flight checklist and then the definition of done is, is it is it in the air? <laughs> is it flying? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like that. So I hope that kind of explains that. And I know we're running out of time. So where do you want to take it from here, Mike? Well, I know you've got a, a really detailed example of delegation, which maybe we can skip over that for now and just give people a couple ideas for maybe like things that they could start uh, with with delegation. So um, and then we'll get, maybe get into some of the, the common mistakes to avoid. So somebody, you know, like, like Curtis had mentioned, you're just getting started with delegation. What should you look to, to delegate? Can you give people some like examples of tasks that you've delegated? Yeah. So first point that I would do is create a list of all the things you do not like doing. So create a list of all the things you hate, dread, that you procrastinate on, that you just do not look forward to. So I think that's a great starting point. And once you start delegating that and you use the format that we talked about, vision, resources, definition of done, you'll be able to offload a lot of work that you don't like. You'll be able to delegate something and you'll be able to practice doing stuff. And I would always recommend practicing with, if this is your first time delegating, do it with something that's so simple and is really not urgent because then there's no pressure. Because you could set yourself up for failure and a lot of frustration if you delegate something for the first time and it's super important and that person doesn't live up to your standards. Then you create this like negative feedback loop where then you might never ever delegate again. So I recommend that you delegate something that is low pressure, relatively easy to do, 
and do that for the first couple of times and you start to see a lot of success and you start to believe in the power of delegation and then you start to naturally over time delegate other stuff. Mm, that's that's a great point. And I think it kind of answers a, a question that, I apologize if I mispronounce this name, but Ankit had mentioned, uh, how do you make sure that delegating will not affect the quality without becoming a helicopter mom equivalent? And I think that is a very important point that you just made, and that is start with a win. <laughs> do things that are not mission critical and then build on your success. Yeah, and the other mistake that a lot of people make when it comes to that is, <laughs> I like the term helicopter mom. <laughs> That's so funny. But you want to make sure you delegate something to somebody who's demonstrated that they can do it. That's so important. You do not want to delegate something to something or to somebody that has never demonstrated that they could do something like that. So if you delegate a design project to somebody who's never designed something and you expect that person to deliver, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. And it Mm -hmm. sounds obvious, but... I cannot tell you how often I've made that mistake and I've seen that mistake happen over and over and over again. So delegate something to somebody who's demonstrated that they can do it. Yeah, another thing on the topic of of starting with things that you don't like to do, Lisa had mentioned this uh, and this is true for me as well. She put uh, booking and expensing travel. She hates to do it, but her admin loves to do it. That's something that I've hated to do for a very long time, but I was suffering from these limiting beliefs that you mentioned where I thought that I could do it better than anybody else. And ultimately I was the one who had to fly and I I don't really like traveling all that much. So I wanted to make sure that when I did have to travel that I wasn't flying red eye and I wasn't in a situation where it was going to be more stressful than it needed to be. But allowing Nicole to do that for me is a huge burden off of my shoulders. Like I can't even describe how good it makes me feel to not have to go look at the flights that are available. Just say, Hey, Nicole, what are the options? Yeah. And now you got to the point where, because you guys have worked together often enough to say, Hey, I need to be in Austin on this day and this day. And that's all you need to say. And the definition of done and acceptance criteria has already been defined in the past because you guys have worked together so often. So it's so easy now. And that's one of the big benefits when you work with the same people over and over and over again, especially internally, when you do stuff repetitively, you don't have to oftentimes then define the definition of done or list out the acceptance criteria because they now start to know how to do something. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Let's wrap up here with maybe the five common mistakes to avoid, because I think that there's some great stuff in here. And anybody, I think, who's tried to delegate work in the past and has done done it unsuccessfully has encountered one of these. Yeah. So I listed down five here, and there's actually way more stuff here in the podcast show notes that we didn't get to. So if you want to get more of this stuff, definitely join the dojo and go check that out uh, because there's so much more stuff in there. So five common mistakes that you want to avoid. First one is delegation by abdication. What this means is when you delegate something, remember, you are still responsible for the outcome. Someone else is working on your behalf. So when you delegate something and you just run away, that's that's abdication. When you delegate something, you should be still, you know, watching over the process, making sure that it gets done. And you don't want to like dump and then run away because that's a mistake that I've made. And I just like start delegating stuff and I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to consider it done. But then sometimes it won't get done. Sometimes it won't be done to the quality standards that I would like. And then when I check in later, 
kind of like how we talked about that earlier, it's not done or not to the standards that I want. And because there was no feedback loop whatsoever, I get really frustrated and you probably get really frustrated as well. So this is really common when you um, work with people and, and if there's like a project or a big task and you start to delegate it to another person midway or to multiple people midway, the person who has ownership on that should be monitoring that all the way till the end, even if it gets delegated to other people throughout the whole process. And this is why you want to spend so much time detailing the specifics of the task that you're delegating, because I can tell you that when you delegate by abdication, when you say, okay, I'm going to delegate, I'm going to make the leap. I don't feel good about this, but I'm going to trust this person to get this done. And you assign it to them and you haven't put forth that effort to clearly define what a definition of done looks like. doesn't have the three criteria that we just mentioned then you feel like you have to follow up with this all the time and you have to fight that urge to email this person constantly or message them constantly and be like, Hey, how's it going? Any questions? Well, (laughs) you can, you can feel good about delegating something and you can eliminate the need to, to follow up all the time. Like that's, that's an internal pull that I feel, I guess, is a high fact finder because I want to know how the thing is going and you can feel confident knowing that it's going well if you do the prep work on the front end. So the second mistake is not coaching someone for the first couple of times. When you delegate something for the first time to somebody, assume that you're going to have to coach that person the first couple of times to make sure that they understand what you're looking for. They understand exactly what you mean. They understand exactly what the outcome is. So assume that you're just going to have to work with them a lot more initially and then over time you free up that time so that they can take over completely and you don't have to uh, monitor everything from scratch. So another way to think about it is assume nobody does it perfect the first three times. That's how I like to think about it. So when I'm delegating something to somebody for the first time, I'm going to sit down with them. I'm not going to abdicate. I'm going to sit there and coach them and give them feedback for the first couple of times. And then over time, I won't have to do that anymore. Now, the third one is doing work yourself when you've delegated to someone else. This is one of the most painful mistakes that I see happen (laughs) over and over and over again because it's so passive aggressive when you do this. Because if you delegate something and all of a sudden you just do it yourself, what you're really saying is, I do not trust you or I don't think you could do it. And it's a very passive aggressive way to communicate that even if your intentions were not that at all, but that is what you communicate. So avoid doing that. So when you delegate something and for some reason you have to do it yourself, maybe because of a deadline or like maybe that person is sick or something or whatever, like communicate it first, let them know like, Hey, I'm going to take this over right now for X, Y, and Z. Always give them a good reason. And then it's going to be okay. But if you do it without communicating, man, it kills all trust. Like that person is going to feel really insecure, especially if they don't have tough skin. Also, if you're in a management position, it just like you kill all your managers or your your people when you do this over and over and over again. So definitely avoid doing that. Yeah. And this is why you don't want to give somebody a time sensitive task when you're first starting out because you can assign something They have to figure out how to do it. Maybe they have questions. They start asking the questions. You get frustrated because you gave it to them two weeks ago. Now it's due in a week. And so you feel like I just have to take this back and do it. 
Uh, and if and when you do that without communicating, or even if you do communicate, if it's something that that you're just just starting out in this relationship, then uh, it's going to have, I would argue, the same effect. So the fourth one is, like we mentioned before, an unclear definition of done. So if you do not really specify what the definition of done is, you're going to run into these issues that we talked about before. Is this done? I don't understand. I'm going to have these questions for you. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and people are going to feel like they're always hitting a moving target. So when you delegate something, you always want to make sure you add a very clear definition of done. And the more specific you are, the better. So I always like to think about specificity when it comes to definition of done. Like I want to be so specific, there's just no ambiguity around this. And the ninja trick for this is to ask them to repeat to you what you just said. So if I'm delegating something and I'm giving them the vision, I'm giving them the resources, I'm giving them the definition of done, I will then ask them, hey, can you repeat back to me what I just said to you? And they'll say, okay, this is what you're looking for. Here's some of the resources that I have. And uh, this is my definition of done. And I actually like to have them use that language as well because then it makes it really easy for us to be on the same page. And so if they miss something, you can then immediately fill in the gaps. So this is a really good trick that I highly recommend you use. So whenever you delegate something, always have them repeat it back to you because it's instant feedback. You'll quickly see if somebody got it or not. If they didn't get it, you'll be able to quickly address it, fill in the gaps, and then they're clear as well. Yeah, Sean, I like this a lot. Sean, Sean McCabe mentioned in a podcast episode that he did on communication that as a leader, you know you've communicated your vision when somebody repeats it back to you. But when you're talking about delegating work, I think that that like we talked about at the beginning, that vision is is very important. So it's worth the additional time to make sure that the person that you're delegating the work to, especially if it's an important task, understands the vision behind the work. And the last one, the fifth one, is not defining a deadline. So that's a really common mistake that people make is they'll hand off something, they'll say, hey, please go do this and not tell them when they expect it to be done. So when you first start off, we talked about how you don't wanna have time sensitive stuff. Well, you do wanna add a deadline because people, when you give them stuff to do, they wanna make sure they know exactly when it is done and to be expected to be done. So even though it's an artificial deadline, quote unquote, for you, you wanna make sure you do give it to them so that they know exactly when to deliver it. Otherwise, they'll just never work on it and they'll just work on it whenever it's convenient for them. But guess what? That's probably not gonna be convenient for you. So you wanna make sure you always define a deadline. And if you wanna get really technical, if something is due, let's say on the 15th, I would always add some buffer time before that. So don't say, hey, I expect this to be done on the 15th. I would actually say, hey, I need this by the 12th or the 13th, just in case you need to go back with, back and forth with them to, to make sure it's done. So uh, another quick tip there is do not define something to be done on a Friday uh, because what will happen is it'll be delivered late on Friday and then you'll be able to check it on Monday and then like you have to go back and like yada, yada, yada. So ninja trick there is like, get it done on a Wednesday or a Thursday. So you still have some time before the weekend to get it done and shipped in time if needed. But don't let the weekend roll over. That's a that's a rookie mistake. So don't do that. <laughs> that's a great point. I like that tip a lot. Uh, I also like the idea of the the buffer. Do you have any sort of guidelines for 
estimating the, the size of the buffer that you might need? If it's somebody that I've worked with quite a bit, the buffer is really small. So if I've worked with somebody, whether that's internally or externally, usually 48 hour buffer is good enough. So if I want something or I really need something by the 15th, I'll say, hey, could you, could you deliver this by the 13th? So that will give me usually enough time to, to work on stuff. If it's somebody I work with for the first time, I will go the extra mile and I'll say like, I need this a week in advance because I just don't know. I'm a little bit of a control freak in that sense. Like I just don't know how good they are and if they can actually deliver. And if they can deliver a week beforehand, then they're definitely good and they know how to get stuff done. But if they can't, at least we'll have a week in between. So it really just depends how good they are and how reliable they are. And you only really know that if you've worked with them before. So yeah, if I've worked with people before, 48 hours is pretty good. Uh, if I've never worked with somebody, I like to give them uh, at least a week. The source of today's podcast episode was an internal Asian efficiency team training that Tan did a couple of months ago. I was completely blown away by the training when Tan presented it the first time, and I convinced him to share it with you all today. But honestly, this is just the tip of the iceberg, and if you're serious about taking your productivity to another level, I'd like to invite you to join us in the dojo, our online productivity community. The dojo is a place where you get inside access to myself, Tan, and the rest of the Asian Efficiency team. Maybe you have questions about something we shared here today. Imagine being able to reach out to myself or Tan directly, who admittedly has a lot more experience in this area than I do, via the private forum or the private Slack team to get personal, direct answers to your productivity questions. That's the kind of thing the dojo is great for, along with getting connected to hundreds of other like-minded achievers who have embraced a growth mindset and are constantly looking for ways to create their ideal future. You can find out what other people have tried, share what's worked and what hasn't, and get the answers that you're looking for in less time than trying to figure it out yourself. Save yourself precious time by finding out what is working for the community without reinventing the wheel. Now here's the best part. You can get access to everything the dojo offers for only $1 for your first month. But this offer is just for podcast listeners, so if you want to take advantage of this special offer, you have to go to theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You'll get access to the entire dojo, including the private video training library, with new courses added every month, the community, which can help hold you accountable for reaching your goals, and direct access to myself, Brooks, Tan, and the rest of the Asian Efficiency team. But that special $1 for your first month offer is only available at theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. Again, that URL is theproductivityshow.com slash dojo. You can also find links to everything we discussed today in the show notes by going to theproductivityshow.com slash 182. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us an iTunes review or a star in Overcast as it really helps us out and helps other people find out about the show. The show is on Twitter as at ProductivityFM. And if you want to get your questions answered and get mentioned on the show, you can send us a tweet with the hashtag AskTPS. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next Productive Monday.